The following is an encore presentation of Exploring Missions. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. Welcome to Exploring Missions, and uh, we're always glad to come to you over the weekends and, and talk about what God has in store for you in the area of missions. The longer I live, the more I understand when people ask, how can I, uh, you know, keep on going? Let me just share with you, it's more than reading the Bible. It's more than praying. It's more than living right. Much of it is serving. Until you're serving, you really will not complete the task that God has left us here. And one of the greatest places to serve is in the home, uh, local church, community, yes, the nations and the world. And uh, so today we're going to talk about the purpose of we as believers in our servanthood and talk about the location of it. Our guest today is Todd Friel. Todd, welcome. It is unbelievably good to be here in <laughs> Tupelo. How did I do? Is <laughs> you it, did am I good. getting better? Yeah. I uh, have been scolded and chastised. It's not Tupelo, but you know there's a U in Tupelo. Yeah. We have several names that in Mississippi. I think Mississippi and Oklahoma mm-hmm. have a lot of those Native American towns, you know, and it's hard to know where you put the emphasis. You know, it's it's funny. We moved from above the Mason-Dixon line about 12 years ago. We were from Minnesota, and when we moved Say here, Minnesota again. Minnesota. Okay, See, okay, just go like ahead. you with hey. your Tupelo business, it's Minnesota. Well, the guy that's you know, video, uh, taping this. Yeah. Guess where he's from? I hope it's not Wisconsin. Minnesota. Because we're going to have problems. <laughs> I know he's from Minnesota. You know, yeah. that, was, that was another mysterious thing <laughs> yeah. that happened. When when we lived in Minnesota for so long, Wisconsin, the sworn enemy. You move far away from your home. Now I meet somebody from Wisconsin, and I just want to hug them. <laughs> what is that? Uh, it it is doesn't doesn't politics. And location makes strange bedfellows. <laughs> uh, so, so location, you, you it just does. just explained it for me. Yeah, it does. Well, it's good to have you here. Love Wretched Radio. Oh, well. I love it. Thank y'all. <laughs> and we, uh-huh. uh, along with AFR and Wretched Radio, have had a re- uh, relationship of ministry for quite a few years. And brother, uh, it does minister. And I say we've had a ministry together. I, I, don't you love cooperation? D- don't you think God honors that? He, I don't think he likes the one horse idea. I'm out here all by myself. Because when Elijah said that, God kind of reproved that idea and said, no, we're working together. Well, when, when you read through the New Testament, Jesus promised he's going to build his church. So he loves the church. And we read so much in the epistles about the church and its value and its importance. And so when we do something like communion, it's a reminder, yes, God saves individually, but collectively we are the church, and we should be doing these things together and one another. And these days, and it's true for me too, the value of the local church is so underlooked. 
the importance of it and being with brothers and sisters and working together. Because I think the local church is a lot like the home. It's a school of character. I have to go meet with those people regularly, (laughs) and they're such sinners, and they can just rub you raw, or they can polish you up. And I think that's part of the glory of the local church, that I will actually grow in holiness if I can change, not those people, but if I can change how I live with a bunch of sinners I become more and more Christ-like, and it's the context of the local church where that happens. Amen. Have you ever heard this? If you find the perfect church, don't join it. Yeah. You, would, you would mess it up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I've okay, been okay, reminded okay. of that quite often, this, this, this joke is as, as old. <laughs> but as it's a, still good. But no, it's, it's, the, it's the, the, uh, the ship goes to, they see a guy on an island, and he's yeah. been stranded there for 20 years. Remember this joke? Yes, I yeah. do. Tell it, brother. I love it. <laughs> and there's three little huts that are set up. And it, it, well, what are the three huts? And he, well, this is my house. What's that? Well, that that's that's my church. And well, what's the third building? He goes, that's my former church. <laughs> that's it. He had to split with himself. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's got what you call split personality for sure. Yeah, isn't it? we can fight over the most ridiculous and oh man, can we? We uh, listen. That's part of what I do. The other program I do is exploring the Word. We do that Monday through Friday, and we do exploring missions here on the weekend with my son Nathan, and and that's part of purpose. Trying to understand. Uh, the, the difference in those vital things that we must believe and then looking at those, I, I'm not going to say unimportant, but peripheral things that encompass the gospel. You have the gospel at the center of everything we do, Todd, and you did great this morning in presenting that in our devotion. And then you have those things that encompass it. It's kind of like concentric circles. They're out there. We're not saying they're important, but brother, if the core is not real, nothing's going, if, if the core is not real, nothing else is going to be real, is it? Well, the, the, let me give you an example, and maybe this will be very practical, the, how the gospel is central to God's view of things. That's his desire to make himself known through the work of his son. But consider the book of First Peter. About eight or ten times throughout those five chapters, the theme is persecution. Right. All right. So here's a question. If somebody was being persecuted and they called you up and asked for advice, I know what I would say. Well, okay. You have a bomb shelter. Have you stored up potable water? Where where are your investments? And Peter does none of that. Instead, he starts out with the gospel. That's the first sentence, that the, the Trinitarian salvation we have with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then for the next 10 verses, he gives a benediction about the gospel. And after 13 verses, you're wondering, well, where's the, where's the information on persecution? How am I supposed to put up with a culture that is like a vice that is just starting to squeeze more and more? And the answer is found in his preamble. It's in the gospel. Mm-hmm. And throughout those five chapters, Peter's reminding us, look, people are going to come at you. It is going to be hard. Remember the gospel. You're a holy set-apart people. You've got a future to look forward to. Your biggest problem has been solved. So even as the world comes crashing down on you, don't panic because persecution is ultimately about the gospel. We love the verse in 1 Peter 3. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. But we need to remember the context is persecution. Right. And that we respond to our persecutors, and we're seeing that more and more these days in our culture, aren't we? That we are loving, that we don't have a a vengeful heart and attitude, that we actually love our enemies. And when they see us submitting one one to another, 
being a holy set-apart people, living out the gospel, they ask us, what's the deal? That's what persecution Amen, does. Preach it. Because God even uses persecution for the proclamation of the gospel. That is just one demonstration that all of life is supposed to be about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. In Wretched Radio, is that your purpose? Yeah. Yeah, we, have, we really we have a threefold purpose. Uh, we have a little ADHD problem, so we can tend to be a little... <laughs> yeah. Hey, brother, uh, we're, we're not only brothers in Christ, but we're brothers in hyperactivity as well. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can just go flying yeah. every, everywhere. So we, our, our purpose is to preach the gospel, yeah. to equip the saints to preach the gospel, and then to strengthen the local church. Because as important as parachurch ministries, and I know the gang here would say the same thing, look, you know, AFA, they do important work. But the local church does the most important work. I think Don Wildman, our founder, he was a pastor of a yeah, local church. So he knows. He knows, and he started that way, and it continues to do that way. You, you know, I this is this is embarrassing, but 15, 20 years ago when I first started doing radio, I knew what the local church needed. Do you know what they needed? What's that? Me. <laughs> they needed me. I'm gonna I'm gonna Ooh. fix I'm gonna I'm gonna fix them up through a microphone. Yeah. And then something interesting happened. We opened up the emails for people to send in questions or comments. And you know this, Bert, the questions that people's lives, they are, to say messy is an understatement, broken family relationships, people that are enduring rotten marriages, prodigal children, they've got drug issues, sexual issues, employment issues. And we are a hurting people. And it's then when God used that to club me upside the head and go, you are not where it's at, Todd. That type of deep soul work can only happen in the context of the local church. And God took me down about 50 pegs. And now I truly feel like a local pastor in our culture. It's like, oh, TV, oh, radio. That's the glad you got a book going on. Uh, uh, uh. We're not worthy to wash the socks of the local pastor. I join you. I, I was there. Well, for, you're just saying that because you're a local pastor. Yeah, uh, I was there for 40 years, and I want to tell you now that I've been doing radio and just preaching at right, churches. Let me, let me interview you it for a moment. True. Go ahead, man. Right, 40 years, people walking into your offices with their issues. How complex and messy and heartbreaking were they? The first thing I understood, we're in the same boat. Uh, my life, uh, you know, chiefest of sinners, we talked about that yeah. earlier. And it was, remember what said evangelism was? One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. bread. On counsel, from a pastoral point of view, it's you're still begging. You're still needy. And, and that's, you go that, there. That's right. And, and what, here's what I found out. What I wanted to say and what I knew the Bible said, and it was a battle within me to hear what they were saying and see the response. Uh, I do have one of my spiritual gifts is, you know, mercy. It, all of us should be merciful, but some of us have the ability to to show mercy. You know, there there's a difference. Every believer should be merciful. Amen? Mm-hmm. But then spiritual gift is to show mercy. There's those that have an easier time of showing it. So I could enter into it, but the battle was, what is am I going to say? Am I going to tell them what Bert Harper wants to say? Because I have the same problem you talked about this morning. I want to raise myself up higher than, than anybody. And when I give my opinion rather than the Word of God, I'm, pres- I'm doing what Lucifer said. I'm lifting up my throne above God's throne. 
And I want to tell you, that was a battle. So I w- the first thing on that, I had to draw back from Bert Harper and get into the Word. What does the Word say? And present it in love. And But yet, a broken heart. One other thing I'd say to that, qu- that question. Uh, Jack Hiles, a preacher of the past, an uh, independent Baptist pastor up in uh, Hammond, Louisiana, Chicago, he was the, one of the first pastors that started great bus ministries, and you know how everybody likes to emulate everything else. But he started, He said, I remember what he said one time. He said, that's when the preacher sat up there in the chairs and looked over the congregation all the time, and he said, I would sit up there, and he said, I would look over there and see a couple that were struggling in the marriage. I would look over here in this pew and I would see somebody whose child was in rebellion. I would look over here and know that this guy had lost his job. And he said, I did that every Sunday. So when I preached, I was a broken man preaching to a broken people. Not only the pulpit, but I would say advice. That's brokenness. Did you ever see the Chick-fil-A video? I think they made it for their employees. It was titled something like, Everyone Has a Story. And it was the camera was behind the clerk, you know, that greets everybody, welcome, and it's our pleasure to serve you. And, you know, how great they do that stuff. And the people that would walk in, they put up little bubbles describing what was on the mind of that person that was a customer. And so one fellow walks in, he'd just been terminated. And he hadn't eaten yet that day, and he's on his way home to tell his wife. And then another couple comes in, and they've got a they've got a son who's doing drugs. And then they walked around the restaurant, and this couple, this man who's sitting by himself, his wife left him for another man. And every single person had stuff going on, and it was a reminder to the customer service folks at Chick Fil A. Remember that because you're not just serving a chicken sandwich; you're serving people with real issues. And I thought, it, I'll tell you, if that's good enough for Chick Fil A. The church ought to be even better at remembering that. Amen, Todd. I, I, you know, when I heard that, I tried to practice that and say, and and only, and here it is, only the gospel, only the gospel of Jesus Christ can meet that need of that individual that has lost their job, that person whose marriage has ended in divorce, that person, those people that's got a wayward child, that person that's just found out they got cancer. Uh, how in the world does a preacher meet all those needs? Jesus Christ. Mm. And, and I get passionate about it, and I get passionate in Yeah, in would you get worked up about it right now? Yeah, Could you I possibly would. do that? Brother, I would, Todd, because I want to just tell you, that's the mission God's placed us here, that we can tell them and show them Jesus. Well, they, the people, all of us, we, we don't need programs and systems to fix our lives or our marriages or our children. We need a person. And good biblical counseling that you just described and good biblical preaching is not pointing people to just a solution, but to the Savior. Now, the question is, what does that look like? So let's just talk about the husband and wife. We'll just use the wife for just a moment. She's unhappy with her husband because he just never talks to me. We just don't have any intimate conversations. I wish he'd give his attention to me. Now, how does she overcome that? Well, you maybe get some Christian book that says, you know, cook his favorite meal or, you know, wear his favorite dress or try to turn off the TV. Well, you know, some sort of little solution, and it might be some wisdom in that. But how do you take that theology you just described and help her heart? And I think the answer to that is to apply the gospel 
by remembering what the gospel is. And rather than in a marriage trying to fix everybody in the home, which I have very low odds of actually accomplishing because I can barely fix me, I need to remember I'm not my children's Holy Spirit. I can't fix them. I need to focus on me. So how does the gospel apply to this woman who is hurting? This woman can remember the gospel and that she's the chief sinner And rather than looking at how little her husband talks to her, ask yourself the question, how little do I talk to my God? How many times do I pray during the day? God loves to hear our prayers, and yet I go through my day and I'm busy and I don't bow my head and I don't take the time and I'm not mindful of him. And suddenly I realize I go hours on end and I never check in with my heavenly father. I never talk to him. Now I turn and look at my spouse and I ask myself the question, how can I be mad at my spouse for not talking to me when I don't talk to my God? Mm. And all of a sudden, the gospel comes alive and I realize I am such a wicked sinner. And Jesus, you are so patient with me. Thank you for saving me, even though I don't talk to you like I should. Then you turn to your spouse who doesn't talk to you and you can actually love them and forgive them because you've been forgiven so much. That's how we take theology and have the rubber meet the road. Without that, I don't think a Christian marriage, frankly, can endure without understanding how to apply the gospel to actually lead one another to Jesus Christ. I don't know how they can make it. You know, when we think about the God, by the way, if that voice sounds familiar, it is familiar here for AFR listeners, Todd Frell, Wretched Radio, and it's good to have him as a guest here on Exploring Missions. But when I hear what you just said, Todd, and I understand that the gospel is the centerpiece of everything we do, and it starts with our need. You know, we're needy people from the vi- and and we had a we we get a lot of questions on exploring the word that we do, and one of them is why did God make man with so many needs? It is so that we would see that we need a savior. And they said, why couldn't he make us like angels? And I said, then you do away with redemption. Yeah. I mean, that is, you remember that old hymn, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the, if, when we see the gospel, hear the gospel, the word gospel, and you can understand what the word redeemed means, and you put it together, you Put yourself at really where you are. And an Old Testament illustrates that is Hosea and his wife. Mm. How, how, I mean, she had wasted her life, wasted her position on everything, but yet Hosea goes and redeems her, somebody that had done her wrong. Is that a prime example of what you're talking about, where the rubber meets the road, where Hosea would do this? Well, okay, my spouse doesn't help around the house and I'm getting angry. I'm doing all of the work or my spouse doesn't do enough work around here. Stop. What's the gospel? I'm the chief of sinners. Jesus is an amazing savior. Question. Forget my spouse and her or his lack of performance. How much do I work at God's house? How much do I serve in my local church? And all of a sudden I realize I am a much bigger failure at serving God than my spouse is in serving me How can I be angry at my spouse for not doing the very thing that I don't do with God? And God continues to pull us out of the swamp. He continues to show mercy. He continues to show a benevolent face to his children 
only when I'm remembering that can I then show my face to my family in a loving manner. Without that constant reminder, I'm going to become bitter. I'm going to become angry. There's going to be quarrels and fights because I am failing to remember the gospel. And letting that become a kind of the, the fabric of your marriage and your parenting, it changes things forever in your home. You had, you had mentioned, Bert, you know, the, the spouse who's got a sinning spouse. How do you deal with that? And how do you cope with that and put up with that day after day after day after day? And the answer is by you going to the cross, being reminded of how much Jesus has forgiven you, then it becomes much easier to forgive somebody else who has committed far fewer lesser crimes against me than I commit against my Savior. If we can remember that in our homes, changes everything. Yes. Let's talk about a moment about the places that the gospel is lived out close up and personal. Those are usually the most effective places. That's why during the period of struggles in an individual or family's life, people pay closer attention. I mean, I you know, like Job, when everything was going his way, uh, you know, Satan would say, who wouldn't serve you? Look at it. And God says, you know, if you take all this away from him and let, let Job go through the struggles, go through life, it's real. And so people are really looking for reality, even in the home, not only those in the home, but those who have, are observing your home. Uh, there are people looking on to see if it's real, aren't they? Oh, that, that, again, I'll just take you back to First Peter. That is exactly what Peter is saying. You're being persecuted. The culture is caving, and people suddenly are looking at Christians like these disdainful things with these puritanical, knuckle-dragging values. Yes. And all of a sudden, we're, we're the bad guys, for, for not for doing anything wrong, but for believing what they find to be an abomination to them, that we're, we, we don't believe in this libertine lifestyle and sexual issues. And they just, they just think that we are the worst of the worst. Now, how are we going to respond in this culture? Peter tells us, be holy, be set apart. Now, just to kind of make this really real, let's just say the hordes are literally coming to your house they are the torches are burning and they're, they're banging on your door to see where you Christians are. And Peter enters into your house and says, "Be holy. Don't quarrel with one another. Do away with bad sexual issues. Be set apart. Be loving." And you're going, "They're at the door, Peter. We need some practical advice." And his practical advice is, "Remember the gospel." They're going to bang down the door, and they are going to see a people that is so loving, so different. They're going to actually ask you for the reason for the hope that lies within you. Persecution is indeed evangelistic. Bring it then also in First Peter in chapter 3. He talks to the wives of the unbelieving husband. What are you supposed to do? No tricks, no weekend getaways. Be submissive, be loving, because you'll win him without saying a word. You've got, you're, a, you're a slave and you've got a rotten master. What does Peter say to do? You be submissive. You be the best slave that you can be so that the slave master, just like Onesimus, sees the loving response of the slave and gets saved. You see a rotten government. Let's just say you're in the most tyrannical government. What are you supposed to do? Submit, pay your taxes, and, and, uh, and obey the laws unless they violate God's laws. 
so that people will ask you about the hope that lies within you. This is a reminder. Everything is about the gospel because that is the point and the purpose of God creating a universe. So even as you read all of the preambles to all of the epistles, some more, some less, but they all begin with the gospel. Amen. Why? Because that is what our lives are supposed to be about. The trick, though, Bert, as you know, is having that work its way out in right. reality. One more question. Does this, what you're telling me, the gospel works under all conditions? The book of Acts, I think, is a demonstration of that. Look at what all was in the book of Acts. Now, I'm going to say this, and I want you to respond. It worked under persecution. We've already covered that. It worked even when geography was an issue. It came in the fullness of time when Rome was, and, mm-hmm. and God, who would God choose to be the apostle to care that it was a, a Roman citizen? You know, it worked gender-wise, male or female. It worked with the Gentiles and the Jews. During the night after World War II, the gospel and people who responded to the gospel responded with explosion in the United States. I mean, Billy Graham came on the scenes and thousands and thousands. The denomination that I'm a part of, Southern Baptist in 1954, their thing was a million more in 54 mm-hmm. followers of Christ. In China, the house churches, it was exploded. Does that show you that the gospel works under all conditions? It, it, it does, and not only that, I'm... I'm not a prophet. I don't know the future. But when the gospel really took over Western civilization, you need to remember it was a debaucherous time. These were pagans. They would leave their child out in the field, their little girls to perish because they couldn't pull a plow like a boy could. They were living in lascivious times. So that that's starting to sound more and more like our culture, isn't it? Yeah. And the message resonated with them. And I think that right now, because of what's going on in our culture, I think the gospel can be received with fresh ears. We all see the statistics on depression and suicide. We, we see these school shootings. Now, wait a second. We've always had guns in this country. Why are we seeing these mass shootings going on? What's changed? It's not guns and availability. It's the people. Yes. It's the culture that has changed. And I just can't help but think, Bert, that You know, we're supposed to water down the gospel. And don't you be talking about sin, make people feel good, just give them feel-good stories, and maybe they'll, you know, get rich and healthy. I think right now our culture, because they are seeing the futility of a godless lifestyle, they're feeling the effect of their sin. They feel the guilt. They feel the shame. And no matter how much the government puts a stamp of approval on it, they still have that inside knowledge, this ain't right. And we can come along and say, you're right. It is very wrong, but I've got some great news for you. There is a God who is willing to forgive even you. I know it because he forgave even me. And I can't help but think as we see this mess that we are currently living in right now, if we still have the courage to not be gun shy and not back down and to not water down, I think the more boldly we proclaim that gospel, the more people are going to receive it. Todd, I got one thing to say. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us on Exploring Missions. Can we just keep going for the next eight hours? I would love to. (laughs) Thank you, brother. brother. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Exploring Missions. There's nothing more exciting than letting God use you on mission for him.